Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's Truth to Power Happy Hour. Some of us even have real adult beverages going on. This is Forward Radio's community conversation. Happens every Friday after work. We're so glad you could join us today here on 106.5 FM and forwardradio.org. My name is Justin Mogg. I'm one of the programmers here on the station. I do a little show called Sustainability Now. And I love getting friends from around the station together to have these conversations every week about what's in our heads. And boy, what a doozy, what a doozy of a week. My goodness, we have a lot to talk about today, including some things that aren't in the big headline news today. So if you're if you're sick of the talk you've been hearing about this crazy week, that's okay. We've got some other fun stuff to talk about today. Uh, joining me in the virtual studio here on Truth to Power is uh, our usual co-host, Hart Hagen from The Climate Report. You can hear it every day here on the station at 7 p.m. Welcome, Hart. Welcome. How are you? Thank you, Justin. It's great to be here. And also in the virtual studio with us is Jeanette Westbrook joining us again, uh, former host of the, the Human Factor and our resident social worker. Good to have you back, Jeanette. It's a pleasure. And a new Truth to Power Happy Hour uh, drinker today. <laughs> We've got our good friend Lizzie from Two Nuts in a Pod joining us for the first time. I got to tell you, Lizzie, I've been listening to your show religiously every week. I love it. Uh, and I've always wanted to make radio with you. So it is such a delight to be able to do that with you today. Welcome from your home. Thank you so much. And I will I will chime in on the political events of the week, but I will also, as per usual, just overshare about my feelings. <laughs> right, right. I have a so, lot of feelings this week, so I get bet, ready. I bet you do. So your show usually has this great section about how do you, how are you for real? <laughs> Is that how we should start today with a little round? Of, sure. Of how yeah. are you for real, Lizzie? Oh, man. So <laughs> I am... Uh, so yes, I do have a little glass of bourbon mixed with peach high noon, uh -huh. which is white claw for folks who don't know the world of hard seltzers as familiarly as I do. Um, but that's my little drink of choice. Uh, I am doing okay. I am on my day six of quitting smoking. Woohoo! I got my nicotine patch on. Um, so a lot of my feelings have been uh, just random crying jags for Aww. no reason. <laughs> um, sometimes for a reason, but sometimes for no reason. Um, and just like really wanting a cigarette. Like we were talking pre-show about tobacco and I seriously started salivating. So that's... <laughs> of where i'm at right now you all look like big talking cigarettes <laughs> <laughs> oh man can i look like a candy cigarette maybe <laughs> sure yeah those are, those are a fun thing that happened in the 90s when they were like this would be cute let's make it look like kids are smoking cigarettes yeah, that, what could possibly go wrong <laughs> yeah, if this looked like a cool or a marble red i'll be happy <laughs> Yeah, the cowboy, cowboy look on that cigarette right. over there. Oh, Jeanette, how are you feeling this week? How are you for real? Yeah, uh, you you had visions of of like nuclear bombs going off. <laughs> yeah, fairly psychotic. Um, uh, you know, just a lot of uh, you know what can I say? Anxiety. Um, um, a lot of anxiety and thinking about 
you know, what does it mean to be American, right? Yeah. I mean, just what does this mean at yeah. this point in time in our country? Um, do I think we have a crisis of mental health from the highest echelons um, of our government and all the way down through our populace. And while we talk about uh, singer payer uh, and, and insurance, nobody really talks about what that means for mental health. I know. Because as it is right now, mental health is screened out way out of most insurance policies. Yeah. Okay? And, and we're really not having that conversation. Did the Affordable Care Act do anything for mental health? Not much. Hmm. Um, and part of that is that most of your really good mental health, when people think of having a therapist, for instance, they're in the private sector. They don't even take health insurance. And that means out of pocket. Hmm. And um, it's so expensive that most people don't go there. Hmm. Um, so I make a lot of referrals to um, programs like Alcoholics Anonymous, mm -hmm. Narcotics Anonymous, uh, uh, Depression Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous, and Anonymous Anonymous. But not the anonymous organization. Right. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, self-help groups are another way to do that. But when it comes to deep issues, people really do want that one-on-one -on -one therapy, um, but they just can't access it. And uh, I think uh, what we've seen over this past four years is, is the price we've paid hmm. for people having nowhere to go to talk or think except on social media where they've been able to be caught up in, um, you know, things like QAnon, for instance. Or, and there's so many of those types of organizations out there that people are searching for something and searching to have a voice and searching to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Hart? Uh, how are you? We don't talk about your feelings very much on this show, but how are you for real, my friend? Are you sure you want to go there? <laughs> <laughs> Today I came home from work early and preparing for this show and I was overwhelmed with feelings of inadequacy. So I overcompensated for it by doing 10 sets of weights. You can see behind you. Power there. Nice. Uh, so I did some pull-ups and some parallel dips and some, uh, and that, that uh, partially compensated for my profound feelings of inadequacy, but thank you for very much for asking. Yes. Well, um, I'll share, um, what yeah what a mixed bag of feelings the first thing that's top of mind for me is a feeling of wonder because it snowed last night and like lizzie's co-host emory i am a winter guy i love me some winter i love snow it's it's my favorite thing and so we get so little of it now and it was a totally unexpected snow i wasn't in the forecast or anything uh -oh. and it wasn't much snow but it was so beautiful and i went out for a walk uh, in the wee hours while it was still coming down last night uh, a man and i had a great walk through this winter wonderland so that was that was a nice magical moment after 
uh, Wednesday's insanity. Um, I'm just feeling, uh, once again, ashamed by our nation. Uh, the failures of our leadership in so many ways from, you know, obviously from the White House's failure of leadership, but even the Capitol Police, their failure to, to do their job, which I suppose may have been influenced by the White House. Who knows? Uh, but, you know, the failure of civic education in America. People don't understand what democracy is and how it's supposed to work. Uh, yeah, so, I feel like I don't, <laughs> just to be totally real. Yeah. I didn't pay attention in that class. You skipped that school. one, Lizzie. <laughs> I know, I know. I think it's really common. Um, there's a lot of lot of uh, lack of knowledge, and that can easily be influenced. Then those folks can easily be influenced by these crazy conspiracy theories or uh, worlds of alternative facts that we know now. After this week, we know can lead to really serious uh, instances of. Uh, insurrection. I mean, there's nothing else you can call it. Um, and the the nation hasn't seen anything like this in <laughs> a century, right? 1812. Uh, yeah, yeah, 1812, right? Wow. Um, so, so it's a feeling of shame and disappointment to some degree in our nation. Uh, but I always, I'm, I'm not one of these sort of disempowered people who feels like there's nothing we can do about it. So I believe in the power of things like community radio and community media to help um, right this ship of state and get us back to saner grounds. And that's the kind of thing we try and do here on Truth to Power and on Forward Radio. Uh, so yeah, well, I want to, I want to dive a little more into this whole quitting smoking thing before we talk more politics, Lizzie. So how long have you been smoking? Uh, so I have been smoking probably like two years now. Oh, okay. Uh, some of that has been on the e-cig. So that was my, I, I smoked for like, you know, maybe six months or something. And then I said, you know, I, I had, I've kind of on and off smoked through my adulthood. A lot of my family members smoke. It's one of those things that's kind of like, especially we get together over holidays and stuff. It's like whenever we get together, it's like it's the vice that comes out. Really? Even people who have quit smoking, it's like they'll be, oh, I got to buy a pack for this week. So, wow. Um, and you were able but, to resist that for most of your life then? Well, I, I've been on and off smoking. Oh, I've oh, okay. smoked more than a year or two. I always kind of like say, okay, Lizzie, like let's get in shape here. Like let's get in gear. So I tried to do that for my first attempt at quitting was before COVID. And I tried to quit by just switching to the e-cig, which had worked for me in the past. However, this time when I tried to switch to the e-cig with the goal of going off of all of it, I just got super addicted to the e-cig because guess what, guys? <laughs> E-cigs are super fun. You can hit them at your desk at work. You right. can hit them in the bathroom. Like... You can smoke anywhere. It's, it's easier, almost like right. it made me even more addicted. And mm. then COVID hit, and I was like, well, the world is just going to hell. So I don't even know why I'm wasting my time with this e-cigarette. <laughs> like, I'm just going to smoke the real thing. Oh my so God. now that now that the clouds of, like, COVID are starting to clear, I was like, this is my, my time that I'm going to quit. Um, there may be a future. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In short answer, it's been a couple years that I've been smoking. Um, my husband, however, it's been like 10, 11 years for him and he's quitting with me. Oh, wow. So wow. 
part of what inspired me is that he wanted to quit right now. And so I said, well, let me, we've got to do it together because otherwise it's going to be impossible. So right. Doing the thing. Wow. I really honor you guys for that, man. Quitting addictions is really, really hard. That's amazing. It Uh, really makes me think about what heroin must be like. Oh my God. Right. I, I am so like, I feel like my brain is being rewired right now because every I had this reward system set up in my brain with smoking where it punctuated every single activity. And now I'm finding myself just kind of wandering around listlessly because when I end an activity, I want my little treat. Mm. I want to celebrate it. Oh, wow. And I don't have it. So I've been eating chocolate instead, uh, TBA on what that's going to do for my overall health. Right. Uh, I suspect I'll probably gain like 15, 20 pounds right. from quitting smoking, which is cool. That's healthier anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst way to lose weight. It's also the worst way to move up in the priority list for getting the COVID vaccine. <laughs> that, <laughs> oh, they, they released this week, I believe, uh, Kentucky released its priority list. And I noticed on there that there may be ways people could try and game the system because if you're a smoker, you're in the, you're in the first group, right? So maybe, oh, I'm going to pick up smoking so I can oh, move up. Wow. And then if you're obese, if, you're, if your BMI is too high, you're in, the, you're in the first group. So maybe people are thinking, oh, I'll just add a few more pounds, get myself. Wow. <laughs> this is not a good way to go, people. <laughs> But yeah, I'm feeling hopeful about the the vaccines too. I've been I've been kind of waiting for this prior like what's the prioritization? Like it was obvious who was going to get the very first vaccines, but then I was we, we weren't hearing anything about well who's next and where would I possibly fall in this uh, in this schedule? And I, we still don't have exact timelines. Obviously, there's a lot of unknowns, but I'm hopeful we'll get there. I'm actually starting to make plans to travel in the summer is that crazy is that too much to dream of (laughs) (laughs) and we were talking with some friends in texas last night or like oh you don't want to you don't want to visit texas south texas uh you know in in anywhere in between like june to september is too darn hot i was like hmm well i guess i gotta better make plans for may (laughs) (laughs) well where are you going well, I have a friend who just took a job managing a uh, a nature preserve, and most nature preserves in Texas are on private land, unlike in a lot of other states, because Texas is so privatized. It's um about an hour west of Austin, and uh, she grew up in Texas. I met her in graduate school, and uh, has always been selling Texas to to me and Amanda. You guys got to come visit; it's amazing. Uh, and she wants to show us the bats. There's some incredible bat colonies. In, in Central Texas, uh, and, and she wants to take us to uh, Big Bend National Park. I don't know if any of you have been on the Rio Grande, but apparently it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Is it too soon to dream of traveling? Dream no, away. but Texas is talking about seceding from the United States. Oh, well, there's that. What would happen if you got down to Texas <laughs> on the nature preserve? <laughs> No, just yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah. At least they have all those petrochemicals going for them. <laughs> That's right. They could. Yeah. It could be the next petro state, right? <laughs> Fracking everywhere. You know. Oh my god. So. Oh my god. Well, that kind of leads us into the topic. I know you really wanted to talk about heart. 
and I think most listeners, uh, and I had forgotten too, but most listeners probably aren't even aware that uh, this is the seventh year anniversary of this West Virginia water crisis back in 2014. Uh, and there's a documentary about it. I don't know. Has it come out recently called What Lies Upstream? Tell us about that. Right. It's really good. I found out about this from an email from Ohio Valley Environmental Coalition, which I support. Um, and, uh, you know, Dustin White is the director. They have do some really good work around petrochemicals, like opposing pipelines, petrochemicals and, you know, being in favor of water quality, et cetera. And they said, hey, we're going to have this uh, screening of, uh, of what lies upstream. So I decided to go ahead and get it because it's it, the, 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 you know, Google what lies upstream and they have a trailer and this trailer is to die for, you know, make you want to see the movie. But on January 9th of 2014, seven years ago, there's a, a, a spill occurred on the Elk River. Uh, the residents noticed the smell. This is one of those few chemicals that does smell, as the, which as opposed to the ones that don't. Okay. Uh, ultimately, 7,500 gallons were uh, spilled of this chemical, MCHM, which is a detergent that is used to you know clean coal to make it to to wash the coal so it doesn't uh, spew out as much pollutants when it's burned. But there are these tanks that are, you know, that they were poorly regulated uh, and the tanks, you know, if you neglect them and neglect them and neglect them, they're going to spill. And that's what they did. It affected 300,000 residents in 10 counties. The, the Elk River uh, flows into the Kiwana, Kanawha River, and then which then flows into the Ohio River. And uh, the movie depicts the legislature uh, getting busy on this and uh, actually passing a bill unanimously to uh, to do stricter regulations oh, really? and enforcement. But then the next year, the lobbyists came along and absolutely gutted and undid that entire bill. And the movie depicts that as well. Wow. It also, you know, kind of spoiler alert. Uh, the you know the CD, the the two federal agencies that are have jurisdiction over this include the EPA, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency, and the Centers for Disease Control, and it you know it, it it made them it depicted them being worse than we normally think of them as being the uh, you know you would expect like something called regulatory capture, which is. Uh, you know, industry has a way, like if nothing else, the revolving door policy. If you go easy on us, we'll give you a really good job. They have their way of um, uh, of capturing the regulators and neutralizing them. But even beyond that, the movie depicted the both agencies as covering up these uh, these incidents to protect their own reputation, which. Uh, uh, so you just have to you have to see the movie. It's called What Lies Upstream. It's extremely well done. Okay, so it's a documentary, but it's a really well done documentary. Um, is and, it, uh, is so, it by independent journalists or PBS or something? What is it? Well, it, it is independent. Okay. The names of the the names of the documentary makers escape me. Yeah, that's yes, okay. Yes, they are independent. And you can you remind us how this spill happened? Like, was it was it ever clear? Uh, who was at fault? 
Well, there's, uh, uh, let me see, there's West Virginia American Water, but the uh, uh, Freedom Industries is the who owned yeah. these tanks. Uh, you have these, these huge tanks along the river. And so it's, it was the negligence of Freedom Industries, but it, it, it's what you would expect if the regulation is like non-existent or not enforced. And then part of the problem was that uh, uh, West Virginia American Water Company, it's I believe the biggest, like it's the biggest water company, but also it's like, why do you have to ship water miles and miles and miles? Why is, why is there this huge infrastructure for water? Well, because, you know, uh, I don't know, it's a mystery. You know, yeah. West Virginia is one of the poorest states in the, in the country, and they have the most expensive water. But West Virginia American Water, it's like after the alert happened, they they started to suck a bunch of water into their system and distribute it out to these ten counties. So the the uh, the Freedom Industries was at fault for the negligence related to holding these chemicals, uh, and then American Water for sucking up the water and distributing it before they really should have had the go ahead to do that. And this caused a plume that headed down to the Ohio River, right? And uh, I remember people in Louisville. Uh, do y'all remember that? One wondering if our if our drinking water was going to be safe. Right. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. I remember talk of like, do we need to boil the water? And it was just too much for me. I was just like, oh, I'm going to go for it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll figure out if it kills me later. It can't be worse than smoking. Yeah, I, I remember them on, on the news talking about uh, monitoring where it was. Mm, yeah. Now it's in Ohio. Now it's it's at the Kentucky-Indiana border and so on and so forth. I, re I remember that. And, and I do remember there were fear. There was fear about that. Well, one of the upshots of the movie is a couple of upshots of the movie. One is how many chemicals are in the water that are not being monitored. Right. It's, very, it's very expensive to do water testing. You have to know what you're looking for. Plus, so many of these chemicals are proprietary. And one of the problems <laughs> with MCHM is that th there was no data available. And you had these the, the industries and the regulators manipulating data. Wow. Yeah, and it makes us uh, all, you know, the, the, the typical, like, capitalist, uh, consumerist solution to this is, oh, well, I'm going to go buy bottled water then if I can't trust my municipal tap water. But the truth is that municipal tap water is better regulated than the water in bottled water. Right. <laughs> it's more bottled water regulated. Is not the, you know, so Coke and Pepsi want you to think, and, and who, is, who else? Nestle want right, you to right. think that bottled water is the solution. I mean, they love, I mean, they benefit from... Oh, they, they benefit from people's uh, paranoia about the water and then people buy bottled water instead of, hey, can we talk about making water clean? I mean, it's not as if the average citizen benefits from these uh, from the companies, you know, from the profits of these companies that pollute the water and the air, et cetera. I can uh, just imagine if everyone who is spending money in, like in that case, in that one instance, spending money on bottled water, if we just pooled all that money and put it into improving our Louisville Water Company, which is already great, but even, make it even better, 
it would benefit everybody, right? For in right. perpetuity. But that's not the that, that's that's a socialist thought right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, marketing is really good at, at telling us that bottled water, it all comes from Arctic Springs, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's the imagery. Whereas, yes. whereas our tap water, we're like, oh, it comes from the Ohio. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. But yeah, nope, it's all coming from the same place. The one that blows Thank my you. mind is that Fiji water stuff. I mean, is that really coming from Fiji? Do do you guys I hope re- so because that's so extravagant. <laughs> do you realize how far away Fiji is? It's like the most that's remote a, place on earth. It has the biggest carbon footprint of any. <laughs> exactly. <company. laughs> yeah. I'm going to cause a whole lot of pollution to the world so I could get that clean water from Fiji as if Fiji's unaffected by climate change or anything else. We're talking about the Louisville Water Company, right? And we have this unique system, this filtering system, et cetera, et cetera, which is pretty good, really. Um, I'm not convinced. But that seems I mean, to be completely, what's well, better than most, but it's completely undone by the Metropolitan Sewer District. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that we have here in right, Louisville. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. I hear you. Uh, they just do not jive <laughs> at all. And Lizzie raises a glass to, to bourbon. So, I mean, bourbon relies on clean water too. So, I think we can all get on board there. <laughs> if the water runs dry, we'll drink bourbon. Let them drink bourbon. That's right. You're listening to Truth to Power's Happy Hour. We're recording here on Friday after work, after probably the most momentous week in modern political history in America. I'm Justin Mogg from uh, Sustainability Now. Excited to have three Ford Radio friends in the virtual studio. We got Lizzie from Two Nuts in a Pod, Jeanette from The Human Factor, and Hart Hagen of The Climate Report joining us for this freewheeling conversation. We're getting real about our feelings, but uh, we're also sort of trying to tackle some of the bigger and process some of the bigger issues of the day. I know, Jeanette, you you wanted to pull out something that may not be in the headlines yet, and and that is that January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Tell us about that. Well, it is, and uh, all over the world, and especially at the United Nations, um, we we talk about uh, what is going on uh, with human trafficking and and making people aware of it. Uh, really, right now, if you haven't heard about human trafficking, I would say you're probably probably not. <laughs> reading or hearing anything. Um, But we still have to uh, keep our fingers on it. And so this year, the 2020 TIP report, um, which is a trafficking in persons report, and that's where all of the countries uh, put together their data on what's going on in their countries. Wow. And so we, we take a look at that. Is it, and, is it like uh, pollutants in our water? We don't even have methods to track it all? Or do we have good data about this? We don't. Yeah. We don't even have a clear uh, handle on how many yeah. uh, numbers. But we do have, it's interesting, while we don't know the numbers, we know the dollar amount. Oh, and it's in the wow. billions. It's wow. in the billions. So uh, human trafficking is uh, has overtaken uh arms trafficking several years back so and they're, uh, they're, they're that yeah and they're connected in some cases too right we're talking about That's, child yes, soldiers being trafficked and things like that they are and so we have these quote armies 
per, they represent uh, non-state actors um, that engage in in human trafficking to make money to to feed and arm their armies, okay, and also child soldiers. Yeah. But most of the human trafficking in the United States are not foreign-born victims. They are American citizens. And that is what uh, is startling to many people is uh, they're thinking that the victims are from somewhere else and brought here. In actuality, that's not accurate. Mm -hmm. It's it's American citizens that are trafficked. The vast majority is for sex trafficking. Then you have labor trafficking. But we don't have a grip on how much is going on in labor trafficking either. Wow. And this topic comes up in our consciousness in Louisville, usually around the Derby these days. I didn't know if it used to be this way, but now pretty much every Derby time I start seeing articles and stories and hearing about human trafficking associated with that, the sex trade that happens around Derby time. Uh, but will there be some some local events, to, educational events, to mark uh, Human Trafficking Awareness Month here in Louisville that people should uh, look out for? Yeah, yes, there will. Uh, there's one coming up uh, by an organization called PATH um, that uh, if you just go into Louisville events and uh, virtual events, that'll probably show up. So that's one that I know of. There's many all around the United States happening. Um but the the issue of the Derby, uh, it's really an issue that's 365 days a year. Oh, yeah, yeah. But trafficking increases, not just for the Derby, uh, but it also spikes. It goes way up for the uh, basketball season, the Final Four. Mm. And wherever major sporting events um, are happening. So... Um, so does that suggest that human trafficking might have gone down a little during the pandemic when these big events weren't happening? Actually, sadly, no. Oh, no. What we have now is, and this is a big buzzword because of COVID-19, it's all moved online. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. So now people are aware of their children being contacted. And we mm -hmm. have many actors that have been brought to light where... Um, you know, uh, traffickers are grooming uh, victims. You would think it would go down. Yeah. But in-house or brothel trafficking is still taking place. Wow. Okay. And that's a whole world that is on online. Um, if you want to engage in buying a human being, you're just a couple of clicks away. Wow. And you can have that rendezvous where you go to a house and engage in, uh, most of the time, an unwilling sex act. Yeah. That's, you, you know, yeah. but you would think, wouldn't COVID-19 be enough to scare people away <laughs> that you would risk being able to exploit someone mm. and, and chance COVID-19 it's pretty blows your mind, mm -hmm. really. It blows your mind. But it's one of those things that is on the airwave, and I expect it to stay on the airwave for quite some time until we have a really a political will to actually do something. Center for Women and Families does a lot of great work to draw attention to sex trap or human trafficking awareness month. 
And I actually used to work for their crisis line where we would get calls from uh, people, predominantly women who were dealing with situations of intimate partner violence. And we had to do screening um, if we started to see some red flags that indicated trafficking, mm-hmm. um, we had a certain series of questions that we needed to ask the caller to try to determine if they were being trafficked. Um, so some of those red flags, I'm sure you can look them up online. Um, one of them is like they would refer to the perpetrator um, of intimate partner violence. They would sometimes refer to them as their father and sometimes their husband. So it's like whenever someone is kind of um, referring to some uh, by different, uh, an authority figure by different names, yeah. um, the person who's causing them pain, that's kind of a red flag that there might be something more going on. Um, well, domestic violence as a whole has just mushroomed during the COVID-19 And they're getting all of the hotlines are getting a call. So the Center for Women and Families and the all of the hotlines everywhere, because you have uh, potential victims forced into to close contact all the time, um, and intimate partner violence Mm. uh, is flaring. So Mm. if that was already the case. And now you're in more frequent contact. Nowhere to go. The more it happens. So there is an overlapping correlation, just as Lizzie was talking about, between domestic violence and trafficking. So all of um, really uh, including those same questionnaire that uh, the Center for Women and Families is using is also emergency room or other places where uh potential victims could be seen. And when people have that suspicion, they then have a protocol where they go to that questioning and it's a screening tool is what it is. Wow. Question, does poverty lead to violence? Is there a correlation between poverty and violence? And here's, here's what I'm like, Gandhi said poverty is the greatest form of violence. And uh, you know, if we're, we're not concerned about inequality, then you have people that have lots of money and people need money just to survive, then that's part of the thing that adds fuel to the fire. Another thing that adds fuel to the fire is stress, daily stress. Uh, another thing that, that you know adds fuel to the fire is when people don't know their rights or their mm. opportunities or they're vulnerable in this or that relationship because they can't really leave the relationship mm. because they're just economically you know, impoverished. Mm. Well, one thing about intimate violence that I'll say is that really surprised me when I worked on the crisis line is that it it really does hit every layer of society. Like you talk to people from various socioeconomic positions dealing with um, intimate partner violence. Um, And that was something that that kind of surprised me because I did think that it was more prevalent in situations where people are you know, really there's more stress because of their economic situation. So that's just anecdotal on on my part of like what I saw with that is just, I was very surprised that it seemed to reach every strata of society. But Jeanette, I'm sure you could speak more to to how trafficking plays into poverty, because I think there's a huge connection there probably. Well, what we do see is that many victims already have a past history of victimization and then trafficking becomes sort of that end result. But back to heart, um, poverty 
equaling uh, violence, I would say just because as a social worker, working with so many people that don't have money or haven't had money, my answer is no. Hmm. But I tell you what, are they off that they're poor, don't have a decent job, don't have housing, are being exploited, blah, 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 blah. Absolutely. I think poverty equals depression. Mm. And poverty equals once, um, and I do believe that poverty makes it more likely you can be victimized in some capacity. We already know that poor people pay more for housing, they pay more for food, they pay more for utilities because of poor housing. Right. So I think that poverty um, does equal violence, like environmental violence that we see inflicted on poor people. Right and food deserts, and mm-hmm. there's just a whole bunch of Lack things. Lack of health care. In Flint, Michigan, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Lizzie, Talking about water, you know? I wanted to ask you, Lizzie, about the personal impact of working on a crisis line. Like, I, I, know, I know you're someone who struggles with depression anyway. I can't imagine being in the sh- having to field those kinds of calls all day. Tell us what that's like. Um. So it was really, I think it's one of those jobs you kind of, to be good at it, you need to be someone who has high levels of empathy. Yeah. Um, But you also need to be someone who can set pretty good boundaries for yourself as far as not getting too attached to what's going on with the client, because then you're really not helping them. You're just kind of, kind of getting sucked into an emotional vortex. So it's, it's this level of like needing to kind of have compassion for people and be willing to kind of um, show them that you're there with them um, and that you're going to troubleshoot it with them. But the hardest thing is that there wasn't usually good answers. Um, People were usually calling for shelter. And unfortunately there's just a huge shortage of shelter for people who are dealing with intimate partner violence. Um, And, it was really discouraging to see that there just wasn't enough shelter, even for all the life-threatening cases. So we had screening that we needed to do to determine if it was a life-threatening situation and that would qualify them for shelter. So they would have to do that screening and then they still might get the answer, well, sorry, there's just no bed. There's no, so at that point, one thing that amazed me was just the people dealing with it Um, are extremely smart about how to survive in their situation Um, and they've become experts at it Hmm. and so normally normally you're not telling them things that they don't know Um, you're just kind of helping them to safety plan and and piece together when their brain might be all over the place um, piece together what their plan is and how they're going to keep themselves safe Um, But I didn't last long in that position because it took a huge emotional toll on me. Um, I I don't think I could set that boundary as well as I needed to. Um, And so I got a lot of, I experienced a lot of like vicarious trauma from doing that work. Um, So I only lasted for about eight months on the crisis line. 
Um, but I'm really happy I did it because I, I learned a lot. And I think if you're interested in helping people and you think a crisis line could be something you could contribute to, um, I think it's it's good to just even do it for a little bit and see, um, you know, there's the general mental health crisis line, too, that I have a friend. She works for that. Um, and I might even do better on that line because I could relate directly um, right. One issue I had with Center for Women and Families is that I myself hadn't experienced what my clients were experiencing. So I also had that extra step of having to imagine something I'd never been through. Um, whereas, I, I commend you. I commend you, uh, yeah, Lizzie. Let's that, raise that a toast. A, yeah. <laughs> a really hard job. My 30 year career in social work, right? I think Hart referred on one of our events here on Forward Radio. You have to be hardcore. <laughs> and actually, it's just my training that allows me to be able to do that. And I understand getting involved because I've had clients where I'm seeing them multiple times a week. Wow. For hours at a time for nine months. Wow. So you really know them and how do you keep that but what lizzie was talking about on housing there is so much bad evil crap that happens because we don't have safe housing yep. in our community if we really put ourselves to housing because i do think it's violence against our community to not have safe and sustainable housing in this community. And that's one thing that could be done at the local level, right? Are the economics there for us to provide housing at the local level? I mean, I've, I've heard it said that uh, if you have, if it's, it's cheaper to provide housing than to deal with the effects oh, yeah. of people not having housing. We could save an <clears throat> unfolding amount of money and resources if we just put housing as the primary. Yeah. I think that when it comes to can we do it? Well, we have so much housing that is just sitting there rotting away. I've called the mayor several times. I want them to take eminent domain over all of this property that we have sitting around this city and turn it over to Habitat for Humanity immediately. Yeah. Well, and this actually touches on a, a piece of news this week. Uh, the Greater Louisville Project released its uh, a I don't know if it's an annual report, but released a report, uh, its latest data on the housing situation in Louisville. You can go to greaterlouisvilleproject.org and uh, drill down to even the Metro Council District level. Uh, and they're going to be having a community conversation about this via a uh, virtual platform uh, on this housing justice question uh, coming up on January 28th at noon. Uh, and you can find uh, at greaterlouisvilleproject.org under events. You can find uh, more information about that and the link to register for it. You're listening to Forward Radio. We are your grassroots community radio station here in Louisville, broadcasting at 106.5 FM and live streaming at forwardradio.org. It's our Truth to Power happy hour after work on Friday after a most momentous week here in our nation uh, and, and in our city, too. Hey, we haven't even talked about the fact that they finally fired two of the officers involved in Breonna Taylor's murder this week. Wow, that should not have taken nearly a year. Oh, my God. Uh, 
charges against them, but at least they got fired. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it, the firing is what should have happened on day one. <laughs> and now let's look at prosecution for crying out loud. Uh, but that certainly uh, doesn't seem to be anywhere on the horizon. And then we have a brand new uh, police chief in Louisville uh, who there's a lot of questions about because she resigned as police chief in Atlanta right after a black man was murdered down there by police. So um, is this really tone deaf? That's what a lot of people are saying. <laughs> oh, crap. Um, I, 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 you know, I have to wonder why anybody would want this job, number one. <laughs> you um, have to be a masochist. With all of this, not only the Breonna Taylor case, but how about the Explorer case? Oh, my as gosh. Well? Yeah. Oh, my God. And that is still unfinished, is and it? it's been years, right? So um, with Breonna Taylor uh, case, there is just so much more that's going to come out about this that uh, I don't think we're, we're seeing the end of this. I hope that our new police chief is going to be a whole, whole lot more transparent and forthcoming with this case. Um because there is a deep restlessness in our city and a deep uncalm. Yeah, you would hope someone who wasn't personally involved might be a little more into transparency, but I I don't know. I'm not holding my breath. We'll see. <laughs> I lack I, I confidence. I think it's bizarre myself, yeah. but um, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of like, um, I'm, I'm going to sit here and see what happens. She did say a few good things. Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah. Uh, that was good to hear because she said, hey, it's not them. It's us. It's the police. Wow. And we got to change. So I, I liked uh, that she uh, was able to voice that. Mm -hmm. But the lack of transparency in choosing this new police chief is astounding. Yeah. Yeah. But typical for the Fisher administration, I would say. So, <laughs> so typical. <laughs> So, yeah, it's a, been a week of not quite surprising yet appalling events. Uh, and we got that the day of the, of the coup attempt in Washington. So we had two massive traumas on our psyche here in Louisville. Yeah. All in one day. Yeah. Well, one thing that... Yeah, it's time to raise a toast. One thing that came out in the news this week that was a surprise to me uh, was an international story about Julian Assange, long forgotten Julian Assange. And this is relevant to us here as uh, independent journalists and, and community media makers. Uh, the UK denied the US's uh, request to extradite Julian Assange. Hart, I know you wanted to talk about this, man. What, did, was this a complete surprise to you, too? I'm surprised that the UK is not anything but the complete lackey of the US. Like, they're our junior partner in all things empire. Right. And, um, so what they said was that we're not going to extradite Julian Assange. We're not going to send him to the United States because we think that he might commit suicide because of the deplorable right. prison conditions in the United States. Right. So they found an excuse to not extradite him, but they they didn't, you know, the, the reason that, they, you know, what they could have done or should have done is, is to say, you know, this is a political prisoner and we're not going to extradite political prisoners. 
so a little background, Julian Assange, uh, go to YouTube and, and, uh, and, and, and search for collateral murder. There's several different versions of this video. It's only one of the things that Julian Assange uh, exposed along with Chelsea Manning. But you have American soldiers in a helicopter gunning down there's Iraqi civilians in the street. They're clearly war crimes at the level of the soldier, level, war crimes at the level of higher up the command. And that's only one of the things that Julian Assange has exposed. They also, uh, you know, there's involvement with uh, leaking the, uh, you know, Clinton emails and that kind of thing, really showing a bad light to the Democratic and establishment. And some of us think that, it, it, you know, when the Repub when when uh, WikiLeaks was revealing unflattering information about the Republicans, the Democrats were okay with that, but then start revealing unflattering information about Democrats, then they both turn on him. And here is somebody who's being uh, who's being imprisoned indefinitely. He's being tortured for the crime of journalism. There is absolutely nothing that he has done apart from journalism. Yeah, he's a reporter. He's reporting facts and information. There's no way that he uh, played any role in hacking into the computers. That was Chelsea Manning's job because her she had all the security clearance, all the access, all of the computer knowledge and skill that she needed to release a ton of information to Julian Assange. So it's just one excuse after another after another for imprisoning a journalist. And the media, the corporate media is not talking about this i did hear it on the bbc which, <laughs> which is funded well, by the people you know, of britain they did want to uh extradite him to the u.s because uh a we have the death penalty they do not mm -hmm. um we've never signed the uh, international treaties against torture and we engage in torture uh so there was there was good reason on humanitarian grounds alone for not extraditing um, because we have that history. I mean, we can, like, where would he go? Would would you think that would be Guantanamo? <laughs> oh, you no. Know? Which even... They also did not grant him bail, so he stays oh, yeah. in prison. He's stuck in prison still. So it's like bad news, or good news, bad news. Good news, they're not going to extradite him. Bad news, they're going to continue to hold him in prison and what what, what crime journalism. yeah what crime has he committed in britain under british law I mean, and, and also a lot of the information that he reported and revealed has also been reported and revealed in the new york times places like yeah. that yeah, they're not getting up. a hard way to go on this <laughs> it's just the guy that had the nerve to publish it to begin with wow yeah to me it's like paramount about journalists that exposed ollie north right and, and yet that didn't happen to that journalist. So, uh, you know, touchy-feely on the wrong kind of information, allegedly, that, that was released. So I, I, don't, I don't know, but yeah, he's incarcerated in, in, you know, de facto incarceration, seemingly for life. Unbelievable. So the struggle continues with Assange. Um, but I guess we should end our end our show here. We're we're getting towards the end. To really diving into what happened this week in, in in national politics here in the U.S. I mean, again, great news, terrible news. Great news is Georgia. Thank you, 
Georgia and Stacey Abrams bringing and people of color, especially women of color, bringing the U.S. Senate back into Democratic control. Uh, uh, and now we've got the same sort of political setup in the first uh, two years of the Obama administration. Right. And, and certainly Biden seems to be suggesting um, he's going to continue the, the legacy of the Obama administration that he was a part of. Uh, and the Democrats really blew it in those two years, uh, <laughs> right? I mean, what what all did we get out of that? Maybe the Affordable Care Act, which was a big old big old compromise, right, with the uh, health insurance companies and the Republicans. Uh, so I think what this what this tells us is we must, as citizens, not sit back and say, "Oh, thank God, the evil beast is gone from the White House." Everything's going to be, you know, and even from the Senate, McConnell, McConnell is no longer in charge of the Senate. This is amazing. And oh yet, and yet our work is not done. That's my message to our listeners today, right? We need to keep the pressure on for a real progressive agenda to make sure that the people that put the Democrats in charge uh, get what they put them there for, which is <laughs> the basic things we've been calling for action on climate and a Green New Deal, right? Uh, action on on Medicare for all, uh, these uh, increase the living wage. We could increase the living wage, like in, in January, for crying out loud. It could finally happen. We could get a fifteen dollar minimum wage. We could get rid of the ridiculous, uh, unjust. What is it? Two dollars and something for people who tipped wage jobs. Are you kidding me? This needs to end, right? I think you're so right. We got to keep it up because. But you know what? The big change is COVID nineteen. COVID-19 has changed everything. It has pulled back the curtain of healthcare inequity. It's pulled back the court, the curtain of, of lack of decent housing and environmental devastation, California on fire, hurricane after hurricane after hurricane. And uh, so, you know, out of this devastation, is going to come a uh, bird. A beautiful phoenix. Yes. Yes. yes that's what we need. <laughs> I love it. Rising. Okay. That That's what we uh, are looking at here is a phoenix rising out of the dust. We just got to make sure that when the dust settles, that it's going to settle and, and bring us more equality in, in every single way that we need. Oh my God! Yeah, um, yeah. I plan to uh, hopefully do this January the twenty eighth on the housing. Oh yeah, event. let me remind folks of that. That event is coming up January twenty eighth at noon. Uh, the Housing Justice Community Conversation with the Greater Louisville Project. You can uh, find that at greaterlouisvilleproject.org. Uh, any other thoughts about this week before we wrap things up, folks? Uh, were y'all, were y'all, I'm not a news junkie. Like I don't watch television at all. I don't usually go on online news sources and watch the videos. But when I started hearing that the, the Trumpistas were invading the U.S. Capitol, I stopped everything and started watching. <laughs> what about you all? Well, like, for real, who knew that Trump supporters could parkour? Like, did you see the <laughs> no. climbing balconies? Really? And like climbing walls? Why not? I didn't know that. I mean, he's got like a pretty physically fit voting base that I didn't know. <laughs> they didn't uh, learn it from uh, him. He's got veterans and law enforcement. Oh, yeah, there that's true. Go. 
Right. It's true. Some of these guys have been training, right? They're in militias. Sure, we're ready to storm the Capitol. Are you kidding? Oh hey, Iraq uh, issued uh, an arrest warrant for Donald Trump. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. That will be a, a really good gift in 2021 if we see any 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 action against Trump. Uh, well, well, Justin, what about uh, impeachment or <laughs> 25? What do you, what do you, what's your thought? Yeah, I it's a it's a wonderful dream but i i just think either of those would just take too long and maybe cause more backlash i mean it would really make trump a martyr to his to his followers right uh and i don't know what we'd gain other than it seems like the right thing to do for crying out loud but uh yeah i, I don't know what do you all think about it they're pushing for midweek next week on really? impeachment really? To, to do it real fast because what they're hoping for is to make sure he can't come back and run, run again. again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see it, it happen for that reason. And I also just think Trump has it coming. Like, you know, he just seemed to slide, slip his way out of every single of these situations that he's been in. And he's finally in one that he can't squirm his way out of. <laughs> so, that inspires me to say, like, oh yeah, Congress is going to give it to him. Let's do this. Oh, did you did you hear him? How he changed his tune so quickly on Thursday when he was saying, "Just kidding." Pants on fire. Pants on fire. <laughs> <laughs> this was really un-American, and he doesn't support it. Uh, okay, sure, Trump. <laughs> sure. Oh, I just want to say I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> Or at least I know. I'm, I'm wondering. I'm wondering. <laughs> and Elaine Chow is too. She's taken her first step out of the out of the White House. <laughs> what about the First Lady? What what's going to happen? Then? Oh, I haven't thought about the First Lady. My goodness, when is the divorce happening? Is that what you? <laughs> well, I hear he's unhinged and angry. Yeah. She might be calling a hotline. I don't. Know. Oh, geez, yeah, circling back to. Previous oh topics, no doubt. <laughs> oh God, I just don't. What I've heard that she's just really uh, running around taking pictures of furniture that she's, you know, <laughs> stuffing oblivious. the silverware into their suitcases on the way out. Oh my goodness, we can only imagine what a week <laughs> it has been. Uh, I am glad, friends, to decompress about it a little bit with you. Uh, this has been Truth to Power Happy Hour here on Forward Radio with me, Justin Mogg from Sustainability Now, Jeanette Westbrook, uh, host of The Human Factor, Lizzie from Two Nuts in a Pod, and Hart Hagen from The Climate Report, which you can catch on this station every day at 7 o'clock. Lots of great stuff coming up here on Forward Radio, so we urge you to stay tuned and uh, keep think, uh, talking about your feelings, right, Lizzie? Yeah. <laughs> That's your sign Keep off, right? about your feelings. <laughs> I love it. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And thank you, friends, for joining me today. And uh, we'll be back in your ears again in one week's time here on Truth to Power. Bye now. Good night. Bye.